from Car Rigs and Ingram, this is It Figures, the CRI podcast, an accounting, advisory, and industry-focused podcast for business and organization leaders, entrepreneurs, and anyone who is looking to go beyond the status quo. Hello and welcome to another episode of the CRI It Figures podcast. My name is Robert Lemon. I work on the Government Industry Line team. So today we've got a good governmental episode for everybody. We're going to be talking about deferrals, everyone's favorites, deferred inflows and deferred outflows. Now, many of you may have seen that CRI are doing a number of uh, articles and webinars and, and useful tools on deferrals. So this is just another, another item in that catalog. Today, we're going to be talking about the top five issues and, and challenges that we've seen clients have as it relates to deferrals. So I'm very lucky to have two terrific presenters to, with me today. If you were able to attend our CPE, pod, uh, CPE webinar, I should say, recently, you will know Dean Mead and Becky Hammond. So but if you haven't uh, heard that webinar, I recommend you check it out on our website. There's recordings on there. But uh, if you didn't see that, I'll introduce uh, Becky now and, and Dean and let them say hello. So start with Dean. Dean Mead, he worked with the Gasby for almost 25 years. So he's a fantastic wealth of knowledge, understands this stuff in inside and out. So Dean, do you want to say hi to the audience? Hi to the audience. <laughs> Short and sweet. Thank you, Dean. And, uh, and Becky as well. Becky Hammond, she's one of our governmental partners in New Orleans. Fantastic resource and has a ton of knowledge on this. And, and Becky, you've done a bunch of podcasts before, so uh, people might be familiar with you, but do you want to go ahead and say introduce yourself as, as well? Hey, everybody. It's great to have you here with us today. Good to have you back, Becky. It's been a little while since we've done one of these, so uh, I think we've got a really good topic here. And I like, uh, I like the format. We're doing something a bit different with this top five issues uh, kind of approach. So great to have you two both with me doing this. So, uh, so with that, I'm, I'm going to dive straight in. You know, we're talking deferred inflows and outflows, top five issues we've seen. Dean, we're going to go from five down to one from, from kind of do, do a countdown, you know, a chart show countdown style. Dean, who, what's, what's in at number five? Well, I, I have everybody fill in the drum roll uh, in their own minds. Uh, number five uh, is general confusion about what deferrals are. You know, there's a, a really good reason why CRI uh, conducted that webinar at the end of May and why we are providing these free articles and slide decks and videos and other resources to help educate the public about deferrals. They, it's probably the most misunderstood aspect of state and local government financial reporting, the thing that is least familiar to someone who has seen the financial statements of companies or not-for-profits, uh, and uh, even among people who uh, are knowledgeable about government finance or who have experience in government finance, deferrals can be challenging to understand or to explain to others. Uh, and uh, and so that that's the going-in problem that uh, a, a lot of auditors and, and financial statement users and government financial statement preparers have is the fact that you mentioned the word deferrals and uh, and people's brains just shut down uh, automatically. So hopefully as a result of this podcast and all of the other things that CRI is doing to educate the public, uh, we'll 
raise the general level of understanding of what deferrals are and, and disperse some of that brain fog that tends to settle in when people bring up the topic. You know, Dean, I, I couldn't agree more. Uh, definitely in, in my role as an auditor, I see this all the time and, and as a consult, consultant as well. A lot of the, the extra consulting work that I do revolves around assisting with pension and OPEB and, and lease calculations that deal with these deferrals. Even if the the clients are knowledgeable. They just don't want to deal with it. It's just a lot of, of, of headaches and, and extra things that, that um, they would rather just a professional handle for them. And Dean, I think I remember on the webinar, you did a great job of describing how they just don't fit into the category of assets or liabilities. And, and you know, we're talking about the our item here is uh, number five is not understanding what they are and, and not understanding for me part of that is not understanding the difference between the deferrals and the asset or the liability category so so that was uh that was that was something i found really interesting when you did the webinar um i'll, I'll, I'll keep with you dean because i know you're going to give us item number four on our countdown list so what what's in at number four uh, number four is uh creating names for deferrals other than those that gasby uses uh, including using the phrase deferred revenue. Um, let me start with deferred revenue, uh, because that was probably the number one example of uh, something that used to be reported uh, you know, as a liability, but in, in many cases might have only been partially a liability. And a lot of what was reported as deferred revenue uh, really was uh, future uh, you know, revenues waiting to be recorded as uh, as revenue or as expenses. Uh, the things that GASB ended up requiring governments to report as deferred inflows and deferred outflows of resources. Uh, GASB, in fact, went so far uh, in GAS in, in Statement 65 to explicitly prohibit the use of the word deferred for anything other than what it requires to be reported as a deferral. Uh, so that there shouldn't be anything called deferred revenue because GASB doesn't require a deferral called deferred revenue. Uh, using that term only risks uh, confusing the user of the financial statements. Uh, and the other thing I'd probably say in this area is that I, I think governments are coming from the right place in trying to uh, be more specific in labeling their deferrals in their financial statements or in the notes. Uh, but in the process of doing so may make it seem like what they're presenting is not specifically what the reader expects to see based upon their understanding of what GASB requires for deferrals. So I'll, I'll give you one example that, that comes to mind. I've often seen this with respect to hedging derivative instruments, uh, government calling it calling the related deferrals annual changes in the fair value of effective hedges. Uh, which is technically correct, um, but uh, raises a number of potential issues, you know, from the perspective of the financial statement user that may just end up confusing them in a way that simply calling it hedging derivative instruments, uh, you know, probably wouldn't confuse them. Dean, I have to say, Dean, I think that deferred revenue one was the hardest thing to 
to implement when 65 came out for the practitioners and, and for the clients of, of ours, because we called everything deferred revenue, you know, how do, how, what, what are we going to call it other than deferred revenue? Yeah, Becky, do you, if you, your clients are like mine, do you have a lot of unearned revenue that's, that's now appeared? Is that the, the, the change that was made in a lot of yours? Absolutely. Yeah. That was the big one unearned and, um, you know, it, it, that, that was, that was big. It's yeah. so still weird to this day to call it unearned instead of deferred. Cause it's just the natural thing that, that, it, that, that's what it was. Yep. And Dean, you know, talking about those new titles and com- maybe potentially confusing titles on, on the face of the, ba- the balance sheet, do you find that it's a best practice to then add in the footnotes, some good narrative explanation of what that title means and what's included in that line item is that your kind of recommendation for for it i'm not so sure i'm not so sure i i as as much as i've devoted my you know much of my career to educating people about using financial statements and and encouraging governments to uh be you know clear about what they're presenting in their notes uh they're not meant to be educational uh, in, in the sense that there's an expectation that, that the user of the financial statement is going to come in with some prior knowledge. And, and uh, I think part of that may be understanding that there are certain types of deferrals that are required. Uh, and to the extent that they're called the same thing by each government is going to be beneficial to the reader of the financial statements rather than seeing the same thing you know, described in multiple ways uh, that uh, may give the impression that it's not the same thing when in fact it is. So more of a, a less is more thought process here. In, in this case, yeah. And, and, you know, nobody uses different words to call something a capital asset. It's a capital asset. Uh, you know, receivables and payables are receivables and payables. Uh, it's only in this area where I've seen, uh, you know, probably because of how confusing they are, government's trying to be more descriptive. Uh, and I appreciate that effort as long as it doesn't get to the point where, you know, it, it, it actually makes something seem like, you know, an item that it's not. Sounds good. Good tips there, Dean. All right. Well, take us to number three. What's in it? Number three. Uh, number three is not presenting the required amount of detail about the types of deferrals. Um, you know, there are a lot of things that uh, have a in the accounting standards required level of detail uh, that governments can meet either on the face of the financial statements if it's not a lot uh, to present and it doesn't clutter the face, or they have the alternative to present the required level of detail in notes to financial statements and present an aggregated amount on the face. That's true of receivables and payables. Uh, capital assets, uh, long-term liabilities, and other items that uh, can be shown in more aggregated amounts on the face and then uh, presented to the required level of detail in the notes that go with the financial statements. And deferrals are the same. Uh, they can be pre- presented as uh, simply as a single total for deferred inflows and a single total for deferred outflows and all of the detail presented uh, you know, in the notes or the, the detail by type of deferral uh, can be presented on the face of the financial statements, in which case they don't need to have a separate disaggregating uh, note. Um, one thing that I, I, I think 
I would mention to go along with that is because there are so few types of deferrals that are required, um, using an other category in the disaggregation probably isn't ever appropriate uh, since they are very specific and very limited. Um, and one other thing I'd mention as well is that uh, in that disaggregation or on the face of the financial statements, for because there are multiple deferrals related to pensions and to other post-employment benefits or, or OPEB, uh, having a single pension-related deferred inflows and pension-related deferred outflows, and the same for OPEB, is, is sufficient uh, for that purpose because governments are required to present those pension and OPEB-related deferrals in much more detail in the notes related to pension and OPEB plans. Excellent. So the takeaway is you've got to disaggregate somewhere either in the notes or in the financial on the face of the financials. But if you've not disaggregated in either place, you're probably missing some of the uh, some of the required disclosures. Is that, that, that a fair summary? That yeah, sounds definitely. about right. And, and I would also I that 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 brief. Thank you, Rob. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I and I would add too, you know, that it's not right or wrong either way, as long as you have the sufficient detail to meet the standards. You know, that decision is going to depend on the size and comp, you know complexity of each entity, and so each entity has to make that decision for themselves. Yeah, I think if anything, and I may be stealing this from something that you said recently, Becky, is that as the number of types of deferrals grows, it becomes less possible to present them disaggregated on the face of the financial statements without making the financial statement look really cluttered. And, and so we may be moving in a direction where, particularly for larger governments that have more of the types of deferrals, that it will be much more common to see uh, an aggregated amount on the face and all of the the detail in the notes rather than on the face of the financial statements. Absolutely. That's exactly what I, what I said to you not that long ago. <laughs> but I gave you proper credit. <laughs> I remember that from the webinar as well. Great advice. And, and I, I agree, Becky, I, I like to see them in the notes. I think that's uh, that's a, a better way to, to disaggregate and provide the extra detail. But uh, well, the top three are in, uh, sorry, the first three are in, but we're left with the top two, Becky. So Bring us in for, with uh, number two, please. All right. Number two, confusion about presenting the deferrals net versus gross. Um, this is especially true in, in pension and OPEB, um, pension more so than anything. Um, I think the easiest way to remember this, subsequent contributions are only going to be outflows. Anything to do with investments is always going to be net. And then everything else could have both both an outflow or an inflow, depending on the situation. Um, Dean, I think you have a little more advice on um, those items related to derivatives as well. Yeah, it, so hedging derivative, if a government has more than one uh, hedging derivative instrument, uh, and some of them uh, have a deferred inflow position uh, as of the date of the financial statements and others have a deferred outflow, then you're going to see those amounts gross. You'd see uh, on the hedging derivative instruments line, you'd see deferred outflows of resources and deferred inflows of resources. But for any individual derivative instrument, it's either going to be in a deferred outflow position uh, 
because it, it the the instrument is in a liability position or it's going to be a deferred inflow of resources because the instrument is in an asset position. It can only be one or the other. So if a government only has one, then you're only going to see either deferred inflows or deferred outflows related to the derivative instruments. It's only when they have multiple derivative instruments that are in different positions that uh, you see both uh, inflows, deferred inflows of resources and deferred outflows of resources for derivative instruments. Yeah, and, and with the pension and OPEB, the reason why it gets so so crazy and, and gets confusing with both the outflows and inflows is because of all those layers over the multiple years. So there's really no way to avoid having both. You just have to keep track of your layers properly and, and let the numbers fall where they are. Excellent summary. Thank you. And now the big moment everyone's been waiting for excitedly, the top of the charts, number one on our list, Becky, what do we have as the number one issue that people have with the, with the deferred inflows and outflows? All right. There's that drum roll in your head. Here we go. Getting pension and OPEB disclosures wrong. Um, in, in my uh, practice and in most of the financial statements that I read, this is the number one area where uh, disclosures have errors in them. Um, and, and largely because they're, the disclosures are very difficult. They're very long. They have to get information from multiple sources and um, if your measurement and your reporting dates and your even your valuation dates are different from one another, then those dates kind of flip-flop back and forth in the disclosures. And that becomes very confusing for the preparer. And you wind up with, uh, with kind of, you know, dates all over the place. So um, this is definitely, I think, the, the hardest area to, to get right. Um, unless you really know what each disclosure is trying to accomplish, um, it, it's pretty difficult um, and, and you can get confused very fast. I couldn't agree yeah. more, Becky. I, I see pension and OPEB problems in, in the notes all the time. And I do a lot of quality reviews and, and uh, financial statement and, and, and ACFA reviews. Definitely it's in an area of issues. I, I sometimes wonder, Becky, you know, these were big standards, the pension and the OPEB. There was a lot to digest there. And maybe the deferred inflow and outflow application was just a step too far. They were People were busy focusing on NPLs and, and OPEB liabilities and, and getting that all right. And then did that, they, you know, like I said, it was a step too far to also digest the deferred inflow and outflow element to it. I, I don't know if that's it. That's just my, my thought. But uh, yeah, I would back that up as well and just say, this is certainly number one on my list. So, Dean, what do you think about this one? I think at the risk of employing an overused phrase, it's a perfect storm. You start with pension and OPEB liabilities, which are complex transactions and not well understood in terms of how you come up with that number because it's it it's it's almost like voodoo. It's not, but it. For the, the, the typical layperson looking at that number, uh, it can seem that way. You then add to that uh, the, the fact that GASB provided uh, this offset where you, you could, uh, for a practical reason, 
measure the liability as early as a year before the date of the financial statements uh, meant to make life easier for governments, but added a layer of confusion uh, because of that, uh, that split between when the liability is measured and everything else that's in the financial statements. And yeah, because now, now you're presenting something that's that's so old that, that often it's already flipped the other way. It, it, it's very possible. And, and, and then add to that the generally confusing topic of deferred inflows and deferred outflows. And uh, it's, it's not hard to understand uh, why there's general confusion about that and why the pension and OPEB deferrals in particular are an area of, uh, of practice problem, uh, you know, in, in uh, governments uh, that uh, we all deal with. Well, that's been an excellent summary, everyone. I, I really appreciate you guys taking the time to do this today. Obviously, for our audience, this was just a summary of our top five items. We didn't get too deep into the technical content but hopefully it was useful and informative and, and a little bit insightful. Um, now, if you did want to get into the technical content, as we mentioned earlier a couple of times, CRI is putting together a whole bunch of really good technical in-depth information and, and tools that anyone can access uh, on the subject of deferred inflows and deferred outflows. As I mentioned earlier, there's already been a webinar, CPE webinar. For, it was a two-hour session, roughly. Uh, that recording's available on the website, cricpa.com. And there's going to be a variety of other tools, uh, articles, and, and ex explanatory materials that can help you work through de your deferral questions. If in doubt, you can always send us a question. We'd, we'd be happy to, to try and uh, answer your specific questions. And, and Dean, you know, you were at the Gasby for a long time, and Gasby helps take questions as well, right? How, how, how would people submit a question to Gasby? They do go to Gasby's website, which is gasby.org, and look under uh, the technical area. And uh, you will see a link to submitting questions directly to the GASB through a form on their website. Excellent. So, yeah, if anyone who really wants to get into the technical stuff, there's plenty of options out there. CRI, again, we, we provide, we're providing quite a few already and there's more to come. So stay tuned for those. I'm going to sign off there and just thank uh, Dean and Becky once again for the fantastic information and, and taking the time. Thank you to the audience for listening. I, I hope you can tune in again next time uh, on our It Figures podcast. Have a good day. Bye. If you want more CRI insights or are interested in learning about our firm, please visit our website at CRICPA.com. Thanks for listening to this episode of It Figures, the CRI podcast. You can subscribe to It Figures on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you prefer to listen to your podcasts. If you liked what you heard today, please leave us a review. 